All right, so, uh, <clears throat> so first of all, just as a, an, a, an interesting, uh, not interesting, side point, um, last night, there was a year that was Nifter uh, in Lakewood of Shlema Danziger. I'm not familiar with Shlema Danziger. He was uh, over 100 years old. He was, uh, he was from the biggest Bekim in Rav Hirsch. He was a big yaki. Uh, he wrote a lot of articles on Rav Hirsch. He has his children, very, you know, a big Danziger family in Lakewood. You know, the Arsville Shas, that's the, that Danziger Mishpacha. I, had, I one time was learning Rav Hirsch and I had a kash on something. I called him up. He answered me, friendly, really, really amazing person. Sat for 25 years learning uh, with his Talson filling all day. Um, a friend of mine uh, who was very close to him told me he had a el- elbow mark on the table in his study. He had these two dents where he just sat with his elbows on the table learning Gemara Rashi for, uh, you know, just hours and hours a day. So it should be a, uh, in his memory. Um, okay, so last week we, we finished the first letter, which is the one letter, the one complaint that the, this Binyamin has. Um, and he's writing this letter to his friend, the rabbi Naftali. Um, the basic, his challenges were, were, you know, his challenges on Yiddishkeit, he says, religion should bring a person to happiness and perfection. Happiness, you know, is happiness, perfection is science, arts, culture, building, creating, something, you know, like, you know, you see, you see a successful civilization, that's perfection, and Yiddishkeit doesn't add up. He says, this is all the Torah's fault, the Torah is busy with details and halachas, which are just complicated, draying a cup, there's nothing beautiful about it, there's nothing, you know, perfecting about it. And therefore, uh, you know, he acknowledges that Reform Jews are, uh, are just making a mess of the whole thing, but he, he, uh, he has problems with Yiddishkeit. So before we get to the answer, the second, the second letter is not going to be the answer yet. The second answer will be kind of the introduction to the answer. It's going to explain you know, his approach. It's going to give you the perspective on how to actually go about looking at it. But, uh, but I just want to, you know, if we're going to make Rav Hirsch relevant to us today, I think it's important to maybe just focus in our own lives on what challenges are facing us, because I don't think many of us would write the same, if we had to write a letter to a, a rabbi with, you know, the problems that we see in Yiddishkeit, I don't know that, you know, that it would look the same as this letter from, uh, from Binyamin, right? Uh, it's, it's you, know, t- you know, and again, I don't have a comprehensive study, I'm not a big, uh, you know, uh, anthropologist, but I would say, uh, you know, just from my own experience and just from I say that from the people I see, I, I would point to, I think, two key areas that people feel are, are, are lacking today, and they, and they feel that Yiddishkeit maybe isn't, isn't adding up, isn't doing it for them. The first one is the obvious one, and this is what, you know, everyone's been focused on. It's been the real approach. This is why we have Morty Stiebel, right? Is the emotional connection to Yiddishkeit, right? We grew up, we all went to Yeshiva, and it's do this, do this, do this. And we don't feel emotionally connected. We don't feel like we're actually, you don't feel anything, right? Feeling is the, is the very, very big word here, right? And that's why the response has been all about feeling and very, you know, you know a lot of, uh, you know, singing and dancing and, and a lot of emotional kind of love and love Hashem, Hashem loves you, right? This is, this is the thank you, thank you, Hashem. Um, that was for you, Shragi, right? So, uh, right, this, is, this, is, this has been the approach and it's, and it's because... Of this, and, and this is not a new problem, right? Musser is addressing a lot of the similar things, you know, changing a person internally. We, we know in the end of Entire for Life, we read about where Rav Aaron wrote, that Rav Shach said about, uh, Rav Aaron Lapiansky said about, you know, Rav Shach, about, you know, how come the Haskalo came and completely wiped out. That people, you know, they were just a tree that was really dead inside. It was standing, but it was really nothing inside. There was no sap, there was nothing feeding it. Right, and that's a problem as much today, maybe even more today, when, you know, back then, maybe there was, uh, you had fewer options, and so, uh, yeah, there was, you know, the allure of the Haskalah, that was a very big intellectual draw, 
But that's not really what's drawing most people today. The draw today is, is probably, I would say, the, uh, the, 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 the wealth and, and enjoyment and, and luxury and leisure. These are the things that are drawing people. And how does Yiddishkeit, you know, Yiddishkeit is not anchoring anyone down. It's not providing a, a meaningful spiritual thing. So again, if Hirsch, you know, he'll get to the answers later. He's going to give a long introduction in the second letter. He's going to give a whole ashkaf of Yiddishkeit. But that's something that we should keep in mind is, is how, is, you know, how does what Rav Hirsch is explaining about the Yiddishkeit answer the challenge of that, you know, that, this challenge. There's another issue which I think I find very interesting. You know, we had by night say there a few times. We had, you know, one time we had Rabbi Mati Berger. He's from Eshat Torah. He's a good lecturer at Eshat Torah, Talmud Rabbi Nai Weinberg. So he, uh, so he said, he went around the room. He said, everyone can, you know, ask me any question. Right, and it was funny because like he was expecting. I said this once. He was expecting people to ask, you know, uh, you know, how does that show? What? I said it last week already. Oh, okay. All right. Right. Uh, right. He wanted people to talk about, you know, why does Hashem create the world and evolution? But the, the questions were were all very much Yetzirah related. I think that people feel like we were told that the Torah is this amazing thing, this spiritual thing, and somehow we're going to learn Torah and that's going to take care of us. And yet, we see in other people that they learn Torah and, and, and they're not you know, living up to that standard. Right? We, we always talk about how the Chitzayinus is Me'er Esa Panemius. I mean, we're all Chitzayinus, right? If Chitzayinus is Me'er Panemius, then I mean, we should be in great shape, right? We're great with the Chitzayinus. We're great at pretending, right? And, but we're dealing, in our own lives, we, we have multiple failures and it's very hard, I mean, what does Yiddishkeit want from us? What is, what's the expectation here? What are we supposed to be, you know, thinking, right? And then, of course, there's, again, the side issue of, of similar to the first one, which is, which is Parnassah, which is wealth, which is, you know, we see so many people that have and we want, and, you know, we, we end up investing a lot less time in our Yiddishkeit. What's the perspective? How are we supposed to understand? What is, what is our role? What is Yiddishkeit all about? And how does it answer these challenges of... How is a Yid supposed to live in America in 2022? What do we, you know, how, how does Yiddishkeit, you know, times are changing, things are changing. You know, I was just thinking now, you know, uh, you know, my, my brother who moved out to, to Jackson. I mean, it took me 26 minutes to get there on a Sunday. And I was like near Jackson Alice, really, really far. And so, you know, this distance is an issue, right? This distance is an issue, but it also, there, there's a whole new dynamic, right? When you're living in Lake, when, we, so when I started Night Seder, right? The farthest anyone had to drive was 12 minutes, right? And when you're driving, you're driving through Lakewood, right? You're very much a part of the community of Lakewood. And even if it's not the shtetl of Europe, but you're, you're part of, now you're living out, right? So like what's, it's, it's the dynamics are shifting. It's, like, it's almost like you're back in the shtetl, but without the mileage of the shtetl, right? Because everything is spread out. Your shul is in some guy's garage and basement, right? And, and so, like, the shuls try to make, like, a kahila feeling. So what do they do? Uh, so they make a nice kiddush every Shabbos. Like, this is, this is not kamina of what your shul is, right? Things are changing. And how, does, and how people are going are to answer that moment is very vital, right? We have to begin. We need a framework about how to think about what Yiddishkeit is and what's the purpose of the kahila, what's the purpose of... Right? In order to know how to address this moment, right? Like, Night Seder, these guys are living a half hour away. No one's coming to, you know, coming to Night Seder, half hour away. I'm sorry, it's just not happening. And, and is that enough? Like, there, there are challenges in our own lives, and these are questions that we have to think about. We have to think about how things are shifting and how, and how are we going to answer these challenges. So I, I think that you'll find, if you stick through it, that Rav Hirsch will present almost like a baseline, basic understanding of what Yiddishkeit is. Like, this is like the Aleph base. This is if you read the book. That's what we'll talk about. You read the Bible, like this is, this is just a baseline. And then you have to be able, right? You know, to, to give advice is, is, you know, I think we mentioned here once, of Shem of Obi, you know, the son, people ask him after a shmooze, why didn't you say anything Lamaisa? You know, you give a whole shmooze about, uh, you know, uh, Shalom Bayez, right? You wouldn't give a Lamaisa, say something Lamaisa. He's like, 
I said something I said people will walk away. What did Ravobi say? Oh, Ravobi said you should buy your wife flowers on Shabbos. Right? It's very nice to have practical, but if you don't have a principle, if you don't have a, a, a foundation of, of, of fundamental ideas, every, it's just going to be, a, 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 you know, imagine like chinuch, right? There's no way you can write a chinuch book that's going to answer every single question that you have. Right? What if my kid, you know, is chewing gum in class and then the Rebbe threw him out and then he went home and he... Right, there's just, it's just, there's too many, no, right? you need to have principles of chinuch, you need to have a basic baseline, and order then, then every kind of thing's going to flow out of it, right? And so that's, that, that's what I think that we'll get from, from the Sefer, a certain basic understanding of Yiddishkeit that I think um, you'll, you'll recognize to be true, you'll recognize to be mainstream, but also a tremendous chinuch and things that, you know, little teeny changes in perspective that I think make the world of a difference. Okay, so with that, let's begin the second letter. Um, again, um, it's, these are all fictional, right? The first letter was written by Rav Hirsch. Also, this is Rav Hirsch writing back, just kind of the style. I am, not answering, I am answering your letter at once, dear Benyamin, but do not think that I have not thoroughly reflected on its content, right? Trust me, this, is, you know, this is, comes out of, out of a lot of thinking about it, right? As you know, the subjects you mentioned have occupied my, my mind since youth. You know, too, that I was educated by enlightened, religiously observant parents. Right? So my parents were re- re- observant, but they were enlightened. In other words, they weren't you know, Yidin living in the shtetl. They were more modern and they had, you know, the things were already emancipated, you know, and so my parents had a different kind of perspective. They weren't necessarily, you know, like a Polish shtetl. And having been inspired by the writings of Tanakh at an early age, right, this is what Rav Hirsch is, this is, this is actually true in Rav Hirsch's own life, this is like an autobiography. Tanakh was a Tehillim, he used to write about how, you know, when he learned the Kapitel Tehillim and he was able to kind of come up with a principle and a theme that explained the whole Kapitel, he would run excited to his father, his grandfather, right? My maturing intellect led me of my own free desire to the study of Gemara, and that I did not select a rabbinical vocation because of practical considerations, but solely to follow my inner life plan. Right? So I'm not a professional rabbi. This wasn't a career choice. This was something that I wanted to do because this is what I felt was pushing me. Right? Because again, what, what happens is, Rav Hirsch is, re- is reflecting, right? When he writes his whole letter, at the end he writes, he says, uh, you know, he says I know that you have to defend Yiddishkeit because you're a rabbi, right? That, that's your job, so you have to, right? So, he's, so, Zog, so Rav Hirsch tells him, I'm therefore surprised that you suspect me of hypocrisy on account of my official position. You're not my friend and not yours, I would be angry at you, right? I'd be insulted. You tell me, oh, you have to defend the guy because you're a rabbi. this is what you do for a living, so you have to, right? It's like, you have that sometimes, you know, like a Rebbe in Yeshiva, right? The principal does something really stupid, but the Rebbe has to, like, defend the principal, or the principal has to defend the Rebbe, even though he knows and you know that he knows and everybody, right? that it's baloney, right? That's, you know, it's like, oh, you have to, you're a professional rabbi, this is what you're doing for a living. But he says, but this, of course, is the curse of our time and the obstacle to our, all our work. Ideals which should be the heritage of all have become mere apparentices, I don't know how to pronounce that word, apparentices, okay, of our office, and truths that are meant to rule everyone's life are seen as applying to only one particular group, those for whom religion is a profession. Right? In other words, this is, again, refers to... What? Not apparatuses. Thank you. <laughs> um, the, the, uh, right? And this is, by the way, this, as, as a separate issue, this is something that Rav Hirsch comes to a lot. You know, the halacha is that three, any three yidin could form a bezdin. Right? You don't have to be, you don't have to be mumchen. Any three yidin could paskin a shayla, dini mamas. That's the halacha. Why? The Gemara says, because it's not shayach that amongst three yidin, you're not going to be able to come up with the halacha. Right? Torah is not, 
is not the, is not to be relegated to Rabbanim, to Kali in the light. Right? Torah is miyitain. Right? I'm Hashem Neviim. I says. I'm reading the pasuk. Right? Moshe says, Halavai, everyone should be Neviim. Right? When El Elder made the Mestal Manachi, she was all upset. He says, Halavai, let everyone. Right? The, the greatest of her writes, the greatest success of a Rav would be that he's no longer necessary. Right? Where he's educated his kila, he's taught them to learn, he's taught them how to learn, he's inspired them to learn, and now they don't need him. Right, that's the ultimate. That's the ultimate. Uh, the ultimate uh, purpose is, is that everyone should be. You know, we want right the idea that we're making Yiddishkeit now. Uh, the professionals. That's a problem, right? Klaiso Torah has to be the heritage of everyone, right? And to think that oh, okay, he'll be the he'll be the rabbi, and I'll just go about my life. He says that's absolutely terrible. And again, it's it's you know obviously some people are smarter than others, and some people will know more than others. But uh, it's it's a cop out. A lot of times you'll you'll see this like in the context of even like of Hirsch. Oh, that's too intellectual. Uh, the 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 Yid, you know, he needs uh, he needs to you know read his whatever and drink his uh, make his lachayim by kiddush. No, that's absolutely that's not that's unacceptable. Okay, the smarter people, stupider people. Some you know higher levels, lower levels of understanding. But uh, you know everyone. There's no such thing as you know a simple truth is as much of a truth as a complicated truth, right? It's 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 the truth. It's all coming right. The manure of her says is you know starts at the bottom and it and it spans, but it's it's all one piece, right? It can be very, very nuanced and branches and spreading out all different chachmas, but the truth is the truth and, and there's no one that can say that, oh, I don't have to, I'm too, I'm too stupid for this. Okay, you find an area in Torah, Yiddishkeit, where you're more comfortable, of course, but uh, it's the, you know, to push it to the rabbis, that's, that's, that's terrible, right? He says this about shuls, you know, he talks about a community where like, you know, you have like the two ve'ho'ir, the askanim, and you have the, the board of trustees, the governors. He says it's a terrible thing that we, we vote for people and then we let them make all our decisions for us. People, you have to be active. You have to be active in, in, in everything, right? You can't just, you know, let, let other people take care of it because then, uh, you know, it's, it's all gone, right? Thus people say, he, of course, he has to speak this way. He has to act that way. After all, his position is lively or demanded, right? What a sorry deterioration of the age when the disavowal of one's innermost convictions for the sake of his livelihood seems perfectly normal, right? I remember thinking that, like, about, uh, you know, everyone used to make a big deal how uh, Barack Obama in 2008 when he ran was anti-gay marriage, right? He was anti-gay marriage. He did not he didn't support gay marriage. So what people would say was, ah, oh, he really believed in it. He just couldn't say it because, you know, uh, the, the country wasn't ready for it. So I'm like, and that's okay. It's okay to lie, right, about what you believe for the sake of, you know, to the public. Like, that's perfectly, we're, we're perfectly acceptable when politicians lie to us because, you know, they can't say the truth, right? It's like, that's, it's okay for this rabbi to say to me he doesn't believe in for Parnassa, right? Like, that's as if that's okay, right? So much so that everything becomes permissible provided he yields one's daily bread, right? As long as, uh, you know, as long as I get, uh, as long as it's Parnassa, right? It's, it's okay, perfectly okay. It's not to hate. You could, uh, you could lie. You're a rabbi, so you could say things that you don't believe and you could defend Yiddishkeit. But, uh, right? Now that our religious ideals and life's truths have been relegated to the circle of the, of the professionals, you and a thousand others with you will be happy. After all, now you can hope for and foresee the probability that they will soon disappear from there too, right? So first there's only the professionals, right? Only the rabbis, and then the rabbis slowly also will begin to, you know. And then at last, the beginning can finally be made to basing life on the principles of happiness and perfection, right? Those principles hovering between heaven and earth, so self-evident as to require no further support. And of course, he's being sarcastic here. Right? This is her first when he's writing this, he's very young. It's, you know, he has a certain a sharpness here that, you know, you don't always see in his later writings, right? He's like, oh, Baruch Hashem, first, only the rabbis, and then even the rabbis we can get rid of, and now Baruch Hashem will, will get to the perfection and happiness, and we'll have a perfect utopia, we'll get rid of Yiddishkeit, and everything's going to be perfect in the world, right? Um, but please forgive my agitation, right? Forgive my, uh, and I too will forget that you spoke in such a way. 
I should proceed to answer your letter, and I surely need not reassure you once more that my official station in no way influences my reply. In fact, it's the opposite. It's because I felt this way that I decided to become a Rav, right? Not the other way around. Okay, so let's just, we'll do a few more minutes, let's just get to this one point that he, that he kind of dismantles. This idea was that every religion, he says, should, should have one goal, which is to promote happiness and perfection. Again, happiness, we know, is human happiness. And perfection means, you know, we, we, we call it human perfection. You know, success and, 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 and science and arts and business and commerce and building and all the things that we look at as, wow, look at these people, what an amazing, right? All, the, all like the, uh, the Republicans salivating over how amazing China is because look how great their country is, right? They have uh, so successful, they can do things so well, wow. You know, like, those, uh, like that idea, right? That's, that's perfection. You walk into Beijing, you see beautiful buildings, the Olympics, and uh, wow, that's amazing. Right? So you want to judge Judaism by whether or not it helps attain the purpose of human existence, which according to your definition is happiness and perfection. So he says, I might, so now he's going to basically say, I might ask, is it so sure that happiness and perfection are the purpose which man was created? Right? Who said? Right? Where do you get that from? Make it easy. Maybe we're supposed to be miserable and imperfect. Like, you know, just, again, this is, a, this is an important right, thing, right? Like, you know, science and, and atheists, they all believe in something, right? There's an underlying principle behind everything that they believe, right? Whether or not they're willing to agree. This guy's, right? He doesn't believe in Yiddish guy, but his premise is the happiness and perfection, right? You know, an atheist believes everything should be natural, right? There's everything uh, has to follow a natural... Who said? Right? That's, that's, a, that's a belief that you have in your scientific system. Make a daisy. Who says reality is reality, right? There's certain, <laughs> there's certain principles that you're assuming, right? You're assuming that happiness is perfection. It says, what's your basis, right? What would you answer the libertine, the criminal to, right? So a guy's a, a, guy's a complete mushkis who's just a, you know, a, you know, a playboy, a criminal, to him intoxication and momentary gratification of the senses outweigh every other happiness, temporal or eternal. Right, right now, this guy only wants his alcohol, only wants his, his fix. And if you, don't, if you give it to him, he'll be happy. If you don't give it to him, he's miserable. Right? So he's reaching for happiness. Is that, is that okay? Right? He's very happy. Spend his whole life engaging in pleasure and, uh, and, and, and you know, in the pursuit of... Is that okay? Like, is, 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 you think that that's a noble life? Right? We've seen people, we all know people that, uh, that their life is one big pursuit of pleasure. Right? Do you think that that's okay? Happiness? Right? It's not every individual entitled to decide his own standard of happiness. Right? You don't like Yiddishkeit, but, you know... Who says, uh, I, I, what, what makes me happy, the makes you happy, right? So you, you, you're saying that there should be some sort of standard of happiness. Happiness is very subjective. After all, if happiness has to conform to external imposed formula, it can only be called happiness, right? In order to be happy, I have to do, right? It's like feminist, right? You have to be a lawyer, doctor, right? Well, why? Maybe a feminist could say, you can be a lawyer, doctor, right? But that you have to, right? That's, that's the problem over here, right? It's like you must. Right? It's not enough that... Uh, Right? You have to, you have to, you know, you, you, happiness means you have to go to college. Maybe you can go to college, but that you have to go to college? I make it dicey. Once you have to, once I have to do it, right, the, the, the world is full of miserable professionals. Right? The world is full of miserable musicians. In fact, it's probably, goes hand in hand, right? Is that, uh, you know, the, the more perfect, you know, a person is, the more likely he is to, to kill himself from a drug overdose. Right? It's not, uh, and self-perfection, ascent to the highest intellectual summits. How few ever attain it? How few can attain it? Right, and that's a, that's an important point here, and this is and this is it's a general critique on, on, on some of the, the perspectives that we have, and that is, you know, the Gemara says that you know elif nechnas and echad yitzilahira, right? You know, one thousand people go to yeshiva, and one guy could be yitzilahira, right? And are you telling me that the world is created for, for, for one out of a thousand? Are you tell me that the right, if, that that the, you know, how can you have a system where most people right? So by his own standard, perfection. I mean, yeah, we love to talk about college. At the end of the day, how many people? 
are actually, you know, reaching what he says. How many people are, are the top tier artists and scientists and musicians, right? Very few, right? So this is the goal of, of, of life, should be perfection. I mean, we're talking about a miyuta de miyuta, are able to achieve it, right? And this is, this is, a, this is a goal, right? And, uh, all right? and truth itself, right? Is it, it is conceived by a th- thousand thinkers in a thousand different ways, right? Truth, I mean, uh, there are more, uh, scientific study says, studies show, studies show, we all know the bogus of the studies show, right? This is, this is something valuable to pursue truth, Right? Now, nowadays, they're even saying this uh, out loud, right? It's not truth anymore. It's your truth, right? It's not truth. It's your truth now, right? Moreover, ultimately, the failure to pursue the truth is a sin only against oneself, who man owes an account to only. Let's say, I don't want to, right? You want to say, I have to follow the truth. Why? Who cares? Right? If, if there's no, if, let's take God out of the picture. Let's say that they're, I don't want to do the truth. I'd rather be delusional. I'd rather think, you know, uh, all those ridiculous ideas that, uh, that are floating around today. Indeed, to whom else can I be accountable? Promotion of the happiness and perfection of my fellow beings is demanded of me only as a means of attaining my own happiness and perfection. And I'm prepared to forgo these, right? They're very, in that then they were very into humanists and society and, and brotherhood, right? I don't want to. I want to be a jerk, right? You tell me that this is, this is going to bring happiness. I don't want to be happy. Right? I'd rather kill people. That's going to make me happy. You have a time on, uh, on a Hitler? No, I'll get away with it. Stop me, right? Like, is something wrong? Is he doing something immoral? What's immoral about it? This is what's going to make him happy. Okay, listen, if you, if you want to try to stop me, you're more than welcome. But uh, look, I'll march into Ukraine and just stop me. This is what's making me happy. Hey, is that okay? Right? This is making Putin very happy. Right? Does that mean that he's, he's achieving something? Right? I might ask finally, what about the many unhappy and imperfect people outside Judaism? Right? That's the grass is greener. We think that in Yenevelt, everyone's very happy, and they have it outright, and that community, that country, those people... There are miserable people everywhere. And I, one time I, I, I asked of Aaron, um, it was talking about, you know, college and like, you know, a lot of the Jewish industries are not in themselves very, very like fulfilling, right? It's like, you know, you're selling on Amazon, property management, you know, healthcare, right? It's not very, right? Whereas a doctor, you know, he, he's saving people's lives, right? Wow, that's very fulfilling. And he told me, he said, is, you know, he, he lives in a community of a lot of professionals. He says he knows many, many doctors wake up in the morning, miserable to go to work, saving lives, but just as miserable as you are, right? You think that, you know, everyone, you know, who's pursuing, that's not true. So basically, he's basically denying the whole premise of the question, right? He's saying this idea that somehow Yiddishkeit has to live up to perfection and happiness, he says, that's a very, very, that's, a, that's very, very murky. Now, when he finishes, the, you know, at the end of the Sefer, after he finishes going through Yiddishkeit, he will come back. And I'll explain how he thinks Yiddishkeit does bring a person to happiness and perfection. This is why Rav Hirsch is so powerful, is because by the standards of the Germans in those days, he's able to undermine their whole, you know, and show how Yiddishkeit actually provides everything that you want and then some, right? It's true happiness, it's true perfection, and, uh, and we'll get to all that. But for now, you know, and that's what he says, I shall omit these questions. He says, all right, let's put that all aside and let's forget about it and, uh, and let's, uh, let's go back to the basics, which uh, Mr. Shem will uh, pick up next week. Oh, yeah.